As we begin this morning and we think about hope, I want to know really what that word conjures up for us. What, what do you think of when we think about hope? What types of things do we hope for? What types of things that we hope for that are positive? What types of things do we hope for that are negative? Uh, and you may say, well, how can you hope for something negative? I can give you an illustration. Um, I had the opportunity uh, after Thanksgiving, we had finished the meal, and my sister-in-law decided that she wanted to be one of those ungodly people and go out shopping on Thanksgiving Day, uh, which I totally do not support uh, because I think that Thanksgiving should be a time to visit with family. So my mother and I decided to be very pious about it, uh, and we decided to go out at around midnight. Uh, that way, it was the next day. And so... Um, I had gone out uh, about midnight, and um, Bath and Body Works had this great, great sale going on. Buy three of anything in the store and get three free. Uh, it was awesome. So uh, all of Gaston County was there at Bath and Body Works. And so I'm in this long line. I'm standing in line for 35 minutes to check out my items. And, um, of course, Tabby wasn't in there because she was like, it smells too strong, and here, you, you stand in line. And so that's where I was. And this lady decides that even though that there is a line as long as the Nile River, that she is going to cut in front of everybody and go to the front of the register. And I was sitting there, I was like, no, she's not. She's not going to do that. Oh, no, she's not. Oh, yes, she is. What's wrong with that woman? She needs to have a come to Jesus moment. And so I'm standing there and I'm thinking, and it was very, it was very funny because in that moment I thought about today because I was like, I hope. And as soon as I said hope, I thought, oh, I'm going to be preaching about this. I better be careful what I hope for. I did not hope that she got a good deal. I did not hope that she got a, a great sale. I hope that she would be called out by some other pious individual standing in line other than myself because I am ho, ho, ho in a very good mood for Christmas. And so that's kind of what I did. And she proceeded to break in front of everybody and she went merrily on her way and I still stood in line for another 10 minutes until my items were checked out. What type of things do you hope for? When someone passes you up on the highway or someone cuts in front of you, what types of things do you hope for for that individual? You hope that they get caught and they get pulled over for speeding. You hope that they get what's coming to them. In Acts chapter 16, there was a slave fortune teller. Her owner hoped that they would be, make, be able to make money off of her, but Jesus' healing eliminated the possibility of that hope becoming realized. In Luke chapter 20, verse 20, they hoped that they might be able to catch Jesus in something and trick him up, but their hopes were diminished. Now, one thing for those of you who like to follow along, I'm going to be going throughout a lot of different scripture today in order to illustrate hope. So if you're thinking this is going to be one where I'm going to be here and be here and here in sequential order in the scriptures. I'm not. I'm going to be all over the place today. But what I want you to get, and the reason I set up the lesson today for Job, is that Job is someone that we are told, we have hindsight 2020. We are told that Job is upright and blameless before God. None of us are like that. We are told that about Job. Job had done basically nothing wrong, so to speak, and yet... He loses all of his camels, all of his oxen, all of his livelihood, all of his servants, all of his family, his sons and daughters, and then he even loses his health. And what Job illustrates for us, because here's the thing, if it can happen to Job, it can happen to any of us. 
The Bible tells us that he lost all of these things and that one of the things that happens in Job is sometimes godly people hope for some of the most ungodly things. In Job chapter 6 verse 8 and then it's also notated in chapter 14 I believe verse 13 we kind of discover that Job wishes, Job hopes that God would take his life from him. Why? Because Job believed that being dead would be better than having to survive in the environment he was living. He had lost all of his wealth. He had lost most of his health. And yet still, still, Job continues on. He hoped that he would die. He wants his life to be taken by God so that his misery could end. He's tired of living the way he is living. Calamity has taken his success. Calamity has taken, taken his children. And chaos has taken his wealth. He's lost nearly everything. And he just wants to die. Job wants to have sort of a pity party for himself. How many of you have ever been there? Some of you have been there. Some of you have been there more frequently than you needed to. Because the things that we hope for, life never turns out the way you and I plan. Sometimes it's better and sometimes it's worse. Be careful what you hope for. Be careful what you pray for. And as we celebrate Advent or we begin the season of Advent and we think about hope, what are the things that you are hoping or yearning for? We've got to learn to place our hope and trust in God. If you look at chapter 2 of, this, uh, of, of Job, verse 10, it says, um, when his wife comes to him, you know what, I'm going to switch this off and go to the, um, the podium. Um, chapter 2, verse 10, it says, uh, after his wife says, are you still maintaining your integrity? You need to curse God and die. Job replies in verse 10, you're talking like a foolish Woman, shall we accept good from God and not trouble? And then the Bible goes on to tell us, in all of this, Job did not sin in what he said. We must learn to be content, to be satisfied in all situations. Whether those situations are great and triumphal, or whether those situations are in the midst of our depravity. We have to learn to place our hope and trust in in God. Job understands that even in the midst of his problems, even in the midst of his chaos, even in the midst of his calamity, ultimately his trust and hope must be in the God who gives promise. This God who provides, the Lord who allows good to come, and the Lord who allows trouble. God allows us to go through circumstances. God allows us to have to endure storms and problems. Why? Because we are told that these types of situations build our character. They build our endurance. They build our ability to be able to face the storms of life. We don't know what joy is until you and I have experienced great loss. We don't know what it means to be fulfilled unless you and I have been on empty. I want you to turn with me to Psalm chapter 25. Really quick, Psalm chapter 25, and this, in essence, is, needs to be our attitude when it comes to our life situation, whether it's going well or whether it's going bad. Psalm 25, the Psalm of David, 
it says this, and I'm going to read the whole, the, the, whole, uh, the whole chapter. In you, Lord, my God, I put my trust. I trust in you. Do not let me be put to shame, nor let my enemies triumph over me. No one who hopes in you will ever be put to shame, but shame will come on those who are treacherous without cause. Show me your ways, Lord. Teach me your paths. Guide me in your truth and teach me. For you are God my Savior and my hope is in you all day long. Remember, Lord, your great mercy and love for they are from of old. Do not remember the sins of my youth and my rebellious ways. According to your love, remember me. For you, Lord, are good. Good and upright is the Lord, therefore he instructs sinners in his ways. He guides the humble in what is right and teaches them his way. All the ways of the Lord are loving and faithful toward those who keep the demands of his covenant. For the sake of your name, Lord, forgive my iniquity, though it is great. Who then are those who fear the Lord? He will instruct them in the ways they should choose. They will spend their days in prosperity and their descendants will inherit the land. The Lord confides in those who fear or respect Him. He makes His covenant known to them. My eyes are ever on the Lord, for only He will release my feet from the trap. Turn to me and be gracious to me, for I am lonely and afflicted. Relieve the troubles of my heart and free me from my anguish. Look on my affliction and my distress and take away all my sins. See how numerous are my enemies and how fiercely they hate me. Guard my life and rescue me. Do not let me be put to shame, for I take refuge in you. May integrity and uprightness protect me, because my hope, Lord, is in you. Redeem Israel, O God, from all their troubles. The psalmist in Psalm 25 conveys the exact idea conveys the exact attitude that you and I need to embody when we are wandering and journeying through this life. We put our hope and our trust and our confidence in Him no matter when it's raining, no matter when there's sunshine outside, no matter if we are down and out about ourselves, we failed in a variety of ways, we have not excelled, we've not met what we wanted to do, our hope that was set high, has landed too low. I want to tell you, in the midst of our problems and in the midst of our chaos, we need to place our hope and trust in a God who delivers on His promise. You and I spend way too much time putting our hope in things that are not going to last. For instance, in our culture, we put a lot of hope in money. We think if we can just make more money, then we can have a happier life. We could provide for our children. Because here's the thing, every single one of us wants to be able to give our kids and to have our kids grow up better than what we grew up. And many of us, unfortunately, have equated that with things. We think if I can just buy them the latest and the greatest, I can demonstrate my love for them. When did God ever give things in order to demonstrate His love? No. God gave Himself to demonstrate love. The greatest thing as we begin this shopping uh, frenzy that's going to happen, and many of you just like me have caught up into it, but here's the thing, never lose sight. 
You are never going to love your children anymore by what you and I buy for them. Our children don't need more things. Our children need us. Our families need us. Husbands, listen to me. Your wife needs you at home with your kids. Not taking every waking moment to spend on the golf course when you're out of work. Not taking every moment to do what you want to do on a fishing boat or do what you want to do in a deer stand. Your wife needs you at home. Your children need you at home. Don't buy into the lie that you can work extra, get some extra overtime, and that by getting that overtime, that that is going to be the blessing that your children are seeking. Let me tell you something. 30 years from now, it's not going to matter if you bought them a new iPad Air. What's going to matter is, was my daddy in the home? Was my daddy present to me? Was my mom and dad in the home? Did they nurture me? Did they love me? Many of us have hoped in the wrong thing. We believe, we bought into the cultural lie that having more means that you are more blessed. When in reality, having less can make you more blessed. How, how can I say that? Well, let me, let me tell you something. I have considerably downsized. Now, that's a, that's a far cry from those of you who helped me move in. You know about all those boxes I have in my basement. My house is one-third the size that I had in Greenville. And I'm happier than I've ever been in my marriage. Why? I don't even own the house. It's not even mine. I don't have to worry about it. Why? Because when you and I buy into the lie of culture for the things that we buy and the things that we acquire, those things take up our time and responsibility to take care of them. The more you own, the more the things own you and own your time. No one, no child, as they look at their parent in the casket, passes by and says, Thank you, Dad, for spending more time at work so that I could live the way I live. I've never had that happen. But there have been many, many a time as I've sat with families in funeral homes before we go out and amongst the crowd where children will say, Daddy, I just wish that you could have spent more time with me. What do you hope for? And I, wanna, I want you to prepare you because as you make New Year's resolutions, which many of us do, maybe you need to make kind of a, a spiritual resolution. And one of the spiritual resolutions is that you unclutter your life and that you begin reorienting your mind and your heart to hope and desire the things of God. Job was one of the wealthiest men in his time. He lost it all, but in everything that he said, he did not sin against God. Why? Because even when his wife gave up in the hope, even when there was his friends, by the way, if you have friends like that, it's not a good thing, his friends who show up to offer him quote help they end up saying the reason Job that you're having so much problem Job the reason that there's so much chaos it must be because you are sinful you are evil you brought it onto yourself even in the midst of all of that Job does not sin against God 
he understood that his hope and his trust needed to be in God alone. And it leads me to this third point, that we need to be committed to hoping in God because he is committed in delivering on his promises. When we hope in God, it's not that we hope and then he delivers. He's going to deliver in, despite us. But when we hope, it gives us a greater understanding of the things that he's delivering his promises by. In Jeremiah 29, 11, many of you know it. He says, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. Isaiah 40, 31. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. Now if we just had the beginning of Job chapter 1 and we hear about his calamity and it says that he did not uh, fall away from, from his purpose in God and from his hope in God. But I want you to show you after 42 long chapters of agony, what Job faced, what Job endured. Now keep in mind, keep in mind, he had had 7,000 sheep. He had had 3,000 camels. He had had 500 donkeys. He had a large number of servants. He had seven sons and three daughters. And all of that is wiped out in a nanosecond. 42 chapters later, in Job chapter 42, verses 1 through 17, and I want you to turn there, Job chapter 42. Job replies to God in Job chapter 42. He says this, I know that you can do all things. No purposes of yours can be thwarted. You asked, who is this that obscures my plans without knowledge? Surely I spoke of things I did not understand, things too wonderful for me to know. You said, listen now and I will speak. I will question you and you shall answer me. My ears had heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. Therefore I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. After the Lord had said these things to Job, he said to Eliphaz the Temanite, I am angry with you and your two friends because you have not spoken of me what is right as my servant Job has. So now take seven bulls and seven rams and go to my servant Job and sacrifice a burnt offering for yourselves. My servant Job will pray for you and I will accept his prayer and not deal with you according to your folly. You have not spoken of me what is right as my servant Job has. So Eliphaz the Temanite, Bildad the Shuhite, and Zophar the Namathite did what the Lord told them, and the Lord accepted Job's prayer. The Lord blessed the latter part of Job's life more than the former part. He had 14,000 sheep as opposed to seven, 6,000 camels, as opposed to three, 1,000 yoke of oxen, as opposed to 500, 1,000 donkeys, as opposed to 500, and he also had seven sons and three daughters. The message of hope for Job 
is the fact that an upright, blameless person can lose it all, can have sores come on his body, where the Bible says he was taking pieces of broken clay and scraping the scabs off of his skin. It's a very graphic depiction in the early part of Job. A person can face all these things and still, still be centered in the will of God, still be centered in the hope of God. And here's the thing. If Job can go through all of that, then certainly you and I can go through whatever is keeping our attention and our mind's ascent away from what matters. Be careful, careful what you hope for. How many of you have been following the Michael Brown case? Yeah, most everybody in the room. I want to read something this morning as I close we begin the Lord's Supper. There are so many things that have gone out uh, an email, so many things on Twitter, so many things on Facebook concerning this case, including the media and whatnot. And I was, I was, I'm, I've been, ever so often I'll read something, I'm like, I'm going to comment on this, and then I have to remind myself, no, I'm going to keep quiet, I'm going to be reserved. But someone else much greater than me that could speak to this issue spoke very, very clearly. A tight end... Benjamin Watson from the New Orleans Saints wrote this about this case. And it goes to illustrate exactly what we're focusing on today, which is hope. He posted this on his Facebook page, 9 p.m. on November 25th. He says this, At some point while I was playing or preparing to play Monday night football, the news broke about the Ferguson decision. After trying to figure out how I felt, I decided to write it down. Here are my thoughts. I'm angry because the stories of injustice that have been passed down for generations seem to be continuing before our very eyes. I'm frustrated because pop culture, music, and movies glorify these types of police-citizen altercations and promote an invincible attitude that continues to get young men killed in real life away from safety movie sets and music studios. I'm fearful because in the back of my mind, I know that although I'm a law-abiding citizen, I could still be looked upon as a threat to those who don't know me. So I will continue to have to go the extra mile to earn the benefit of the doubt. I'm embarrassed because of the looting, violent protests, and law-breaking only confirm and in the minds of many validate the stereotypes and thus the inferior treatment. I'm sad because another young life was lost from his family, the racial divide has widened, a community is in shambles, accusations, insensitivity, hurt, and hatred are boiling over, and we may never know the truth about what happened that day. I'm sympathetic because I wasn't there, so I don't know exactly what happened. Maybe Darren Wilson acted within his rights and duty as an officer of the law and killed Michael Brown in self-defense like any of us would in the circumstance. Now he has to fear the backlash against himself and his loved ones when he was only doing his job. What a horrible thing to endure. Or maybe he provoked Michael and ignited the series of events that led him to eventually murdering the young man to prove a point. I'm offended because of the insulting comments I've seen that are not only insensitive but dismissive to the painful experience of others. I'm confused because I don't know why it's so hard to to obey a policeman. 
you will not win. And I don't know why some policemen abuse their power. Power is a responsibility, not a weapon to brandish and lord over the populace. I'm introspective because sometimes I want to take our side without looking at the facts in situations like these. Sometimes I feel like it's used, it's us against them. Sometimes I'm just as prejudiced as people I point fingers at, and that's not right. How can I look at white skin and make assumptions but not want assumptions made about me? That's not right. I'm hopeless because I've lived long enough to expect things like this to continue to happen. I'm not surprised that at some point my little children are going to inherit the weight of being a minority and all that it entails. I'm hopeful because I know that while we still have race issues in America, we enjoy a much different normal than those of our parents and grandparents. I see it in my personal relationships with teammates, friends and mentors, and it's a beautiful thing. And then the most prolific thing he writes, I'm encouraged because ultimately the problem is not a skin problem. It is a sin problem. Sin is the reason we rebel against authority. Sin is the reason we abuse our authority. Sin is the reason we are racist, prejudiced, and lie to cover for our own. Sin is the reason we riot, we loot, and burn. But I'm encouraged because God has provided a solution for sin through, the, through the, His Son, Jesus, and with it, a transformed heart and mind, one that's capable of looking past the outward and seeing what's truly important in every human being. The cure for Michael Brown, the cure for Trayvon Martin, the cure for Tamar Rice, the cure for Eric Garner, tragedies, is not education or exposure, it's the gospel. So finally, I'm encouraged because the gospel gives us hope. The hope of Jesus Christ needs to penetrate and permeate every aspect of our lives. Be careful what you hope for. Be careful what you and I put our hope in. I believe in a God who has come to earth from so far away and he lives in the hearts and minds of people like you and me who would trust and believe in Christ. Sin is the problem. Christ is the solution. Let us set our hope high and be delivered from all that keeps us pushed down. Will you pray with me?